The Koi Gig Pod. I think all the concerns that we have obviously being that middle tier are very valid considering just how much we benefited from playing teams of a higher calibre going into our qualifiers. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. It is time to say a good, very good morning to the Formula One broadcaster and journalist Chris Medland. Morning, Chris. Guys, how you doing? We're keeping well. We're keeping well. We were talking about the Cristiano Ronaldo controversy uh, for most of this morning so far, but uh, there is a little bit of controversy as well in, uh, in Formula One out of the uh, the Grand Prix in Brazil at the weekend. Um, Max Verstappen. I mean, Jesus, Chris, what's going on here? It, like, for for people who maybe aren't aware of what happened, what did happen? Because essentially. Sergio Perez has been the stalwart for Max Verstappen, helping him out left, right, and centre, dragging him to a to a to a world cha- to a world championship last year. Not really dragging him, but but really giving him a helping <laughs> hand by by blocking off Lewis Hamilton at different points. Uh, and Max didn't return the favour at the weekend. Yeah, pretty much in a nutshell. Um, I think the first thing to say is that Max has been the dominant driver at the two for uh, the last two seasons, and and in some ways you could say he hasn't always needed help, but whenever he has needed, or the team have felt it was the right thing to do. Uh, Perez has abide whatever the kind of ruling is that's come down from the team orders. Then we're now in a position where Perez is fighting Charles Leclerc for second in the Drivers' Championship, which is, I mean, it's not the, the greatest accolade that any driver wants, but it's better than nothing. And, uh, and Red Bull have never had both drivers finish first and second in the season. So that's what they want to try and achieve. And Perez was running pretty strongly in Brazil and then was having a tough time towards the end of the race. Uh, and he was down in sixth place. Verstappen was recovering from incidents earlier on, was seventh with just about five laps to go, catching Perez, uh, no threat from behind. So Red Bull said, OK, Max can go ahead and try and chase the cars in front. And if he can make further positions, great. But if he can't, then he'll give the place back to to Sergio. And on the final lap, he was reminded that if you can't overtake, it was Fernando Alonso who's trying to pass, uh, then you're going to have to give the place back to Sergio. And he, he didn't do it. And um, as soon as the race was over, the team asked him on team radio what had happened. And he said, I've, I've given you my reasons already. I've told you before I wouldn't do that. Um, and I stand by them. Uh, and he was very angry that the team had put him in that position. So uh, it seems to have been an underlying issue where Max had long since informed Red Bull that, uh, that he wasn't going to uh, obey any team order that he was going to get. Uh, and he wasn't going to give up a position to Sergio. One thing that was quite interesting was the way Max overtook Sergio during that race was a pretty robust and solid move. Mm. It didn't look like Sergio just moved over for him at that time. So I'm not sure how clear the message had been to Sergio, uh, whether he'd been told Max won't overtake you or whether he'd been told, yeah, he will. But um, yeah, Sergio had been expecting that place back and didn't get it. It was a bit like the the, the wording, even when you're listening to the team radio, Chris, on, on that last lap, um, so Verstappen asked again on the last lap to let Perez through and the reply um, so he replied that he told the team he, he wouldn't previously are we clear about that I gave my reasons and I stuck by it he wouldn't really elaborate in the in the, uh, the post-race interviews as to what he meant by that but, but that phraseology Chris are we clear about that like who's in charge here the driver or the team well, that's that's a big part of this is that um, there's a bit of a power struggle going on there at Red Bull anyway. It, it's always been a bit of an interesting setup because you have Helmut Marco who calls a lot of the shots around the drivers but then you have um, Mac, uh, Christian Horner is the team principal so uh, Horner kind of controls other aspects of the teams and those two almost have a bit of a power struggle between the two of them but now Verstappen knows he's you know he's the top dog there in terms of the driver he's the star man that they've got under contract for a long long time and he wants the team to kind of work the way he wants it to work and it seemed to stem from something that happened earlier in the year now there's a lot of talk about an incident where uh, Sergio Perez crashed in Monaco during qualifying uh, and I, I to me it, it 
it seems quite actually far-fetched that it would be legitimately because he did that on on purpose but if it was something to do with that there's been a trigger point that's un- upset Verstappen that means he feels like Perez doesn't always help him and he wanted to make a point uh, and up to now he hasn't actually had to they haven't had a situation where he's been asked to move over for Sergio so uh, what was strange for me is that Max was so firm about it as you say with that wording with that approach for sixth place, it was over sixth and seventh. Red Bull weren't the quickest team in Interlagos. Max had a tough race. You know, the, the, the win wasn't on, the podium wasn't on. It was genuinely over two points and the championships already wrapped up. So it felt like the wrong time to make such a firm stance uh, and to really ram it home because not only that, the team and Max came out afterwards, as you said, uh, said, you know, Max has given his reasons, but they're going to stay behind closed doors. But Max made it very public by doing those team radio messages after the race. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a, a bizarre twist that's meant after a season where he's driven brilliantly on the whole, um, Max is suddenly kind of coming across as the bad guy for, for not helping his teammate. Just comes across as remarkably ungracious, like on Max's behalf. I don't know, like, how the, the divide among Formula One fans, you know, how they feel about this generally speaking, but I mean, I'm sure there are still Verstappen fans who are, who are kind of coming in, coming in and saying, well, this just shows Max's winning attitude and win mentality and you need to have that ego uh, to, you know, to, to win world championships. And now he's won two. So is there an element of that to it, that he's just showing that he's a winner, he doesn't care who he who he pisses off, essentially? Because, <laughs> as you said, the, the power struggle there has, has Max as the leader of this team. And, and maybe Perez can't say anything about this, really, because he knows that Max is the main man. A, a little. I imagine Perez hasn't always been <laughs> delighted with the way things have been behind the scenes because he's been kind of playing second fiddle when asked to. But uh, I think it's more the way that Max has gone about it just surprised me because you you can have that kind of single-mindedness and, and uh, desire to win a championship and win at all costs. Yes, but again, this wasn't for a win. This wasn't the time to really implement that. Um, Sebastian Vettel did it to Mark Webber uh, quite a few years ago, again at Red Bull. And that seemed to stem from a disagreement they'd had only a few months earlier in a championship decider when there was a lot on the line. And he felt that Weber hadn't really helped him out um, at the start of that race. He'd kind of cut him off at turn one. And that rolled over to two races into the, the new season. And he just ignored the team order um, to stay behind Weber um, when they were fighting for a win for one, two, uh, quite early in the race as well. So, again, like the stakes were different. There was a championship still on the line then. Mm. For now, I think what most Verstappen fans seem to be saying, and, you know, understandably, if, if the catalyst is a, a strong one, is he, ha- he said he had his reasons and he's got his reasons. And um, you kind of have to respect that if he said he wasn't going to do it and then the team put him in the position of telling him to do it publicly, then he, he stood firm. Potentially, that's a fair point. But the fact that the team haven't come out and said why, or Max hasn't, this is why it's really hurting him. You can't really have this response and then be like, well, you know, I can't take the reasons, but just know I'm right. Because how do you judge someone that they're right or not? So um, I think that's what I found most strange. Uh, the majority of fans have said that it's it's reflected very badly on him and hurt his reputation. But we've also seen from Max in the past, he, he doesn't care too much about his reputation. Uh, so I don't think it will really hurt him personally too much. Um, but it, it could have been handled, I think, a much better way. Where does the team go from here now? Because obviously there's still races left. They're going to have to compete together. There might be another situation where Perez does need Verstappen to help him out. Like, Do you think that now Verstappen has made his point, he doesn't have to make it again, and especially with all the attention it's got and the way it's kind of unfolded over the last few days? That's the way that Max sees it. That's the way he said it after the race in Brazil. I mean, for anyone who does get the um, the pain of having to see me on screen, that I'm... <laughs> in Abu Dhabi already for the final race, um, which is what the backdrop is. And there's one race to go. So we everyone's already headed uh, halfway across the world for that. 
it will be a quick follow-up. There'll be a lot of talk about it this weekend and heading into the weekend. But Max did say that he would help Sergio in any way he needed to here to get the job done in terms of finishing ahead of Leclerc. The equation's simple, though. Yeah, Verstappen, uh, sorry, Perez needs to he- finish ahead of Leclerc to finish second in the championship. They're level on points now. So uh, it's a bit like uh, Hamilton and Verstappen last year, but just for a much smaller prize. And uh, I think in that sense, there's, there's actually going to be quite little Verstappen can do to help um, but he says he will if needed. But then we go into the winter break. Uh, you know, we've got an off-season that finally is a, a couple of months with the World Cup. Um, we'll be back in February with testing. And I think that time is probably you know, well-timed um, to kind of diffuse the situation, clear the air behind closed doors properly uh, at Red Bull's factory if needed, but also just for the storyline to die down a little bit and, and the pressure will be a lot lower starting next year. So I think for the team, they've got a, a tough week coming up uh, of questions and hoping they don't get another flashpoint. But after that, uh, they should be okay that they can kind of breathe out for a while. It's funny you, you mentioned this on uh, on Twitter, Chris, as well. The fact that Interlagos, that circuit in Brazil, uh, tends to be, you know, quite feisty in terms of teammate relationships. That it's not the first time, or even it wasn't the first time at the weekend where two teammates kind of clashed in in some way. Like some people making the, the point that I guess it's towards the end of the championship when things are a bit heated and there's a lot of overtaking at the Interlagos circuit as well. But it is a funny one that that. There seems to be a lot of, uh, you know, high points of, of, I guess, team stress at the Interlagos circuit. Yeah, it was. I, I did find it a little bit strange, but as you say, it, it tends to be at a point where uh, there's a lot at stake. Uh, it's either the final race of the season or one of the last races of the season, uh, and it is a circuit that um, is conducive to some good racing, but also isn't. Uh, you know, it's not the widest circuit. It's not a new track. It's quite a tricky layout in terms of undulating and um, some narrow sections and fairly high speed corners as well where drivers can go side by side. So the margins are, are, are fine um, that can lead to them. But even over the, the weekend we just had on Saturday in the sprint race, uh, Lance Stroll nearly drove Sebastian Vettel into the wall um, <laughs> and, and got a, a heavy penalty for it. That was his teammate um, when they were racing over position. Uh, then we had Charles Leclerc with the same kind of view as Sergio Perez trying to secure that second place overall, wanted to be allowed to go ahead of his teammate Carlos Sainz uh, late in the race on Sunday. He said afterwards that it was because the team had discussed it and said they'd do that if that situation arose. But then I think the scenario was actually a bit risky. Uh, Fernando Alonso was very close behind Leclerc late in the race. So as much as Leclerc thought he was going to get given that position, I can see why Ferrari actually decided maybe not today. But again, that meant you had these kind of discussions going on about team orders. Um, we've had it in the past. Vettel and the clerk collided, took each other out in 2019. Uh, as I mentioned, the Weber and Vettel incident was actually in 2012 and the title decided there. So um, I think Weber's been involved in other incidents with teammates. It, there's so many that seem to happen at Interlagos, but it is a great, great circuit. Um, it, it's a bit of a shame, in my view, that it's not the final race of the season anymore because um, of the drama it seems to provide, whatever the situation is. Um, and the weather can be mixed in, but it's a, a bit of an old school track that the drivers seem to really love and, and makes for good racing. So, yeah, we did have a good one this weekend. It's just uh, sort of overshadowed by the, the final lap and the Red Bull situation. Seems to be the general theme of the week, whether it's football or it's F1. <laughs> yeah, overshadowing by yeah. Yeah, controversial. Great results overshadowed yeah, by yeah. controversial talking points by people who have big egos. Is that fair enough Slightly to say? Slightly big yeah. egos. I think that's fair. Like that, and that's the point that Kathleen makes because like, we forget nearly that George Russell at the 81st time of asking is is a, is a race winner. And like that, that's kind of been been hidden and it's a really emotional moment for him. I know he kind of talked about needing the, the tissues out after the, when he crossed the checkered, fla- the, the checkered flag. I mean, that was quite a moment for, for George Russell. Yeah, it was amazing. I, um, I actually felt bad because yeah, I do live radio um, post-race for... Um, 
radio station in America and I was stood outside Red Bull trying to get hold of Red Bull team members. I was watching some arguments unfold inside and I'm thinking this is overshadowing. Yeah, Mercedes won two, not, not to forget as well. It wasn't just yeah. Russell's win and it wasn't just, it wasn't luck. It was pace. They were the quickest team all weekend. Uh, Russell won the sprint and then won from pole. Um, with Hamilton making it a one-two, even though he had a clash with Verstappen. So he came back from that. So really impressive from Mercedes. And I was lucky enough to grab a word with George um, just after the race where they'd done the team photo, sprayed a load of champagne in the pit lane, and thousands of fans were still on the track. And he stood on the pit wall, and the noise was deafening. Uh, it was incredible. Like That was huge support, just for Formula 1 in Brazil. But uh, they love Lewis Hamilton, and at, almost by default, they love um, his teammate. And even though George beat him, they were delighted for him. So it was a really, really popular win. And I don't think it really bothers George that there was another talking point because, um, yeah, he was still uh, fully enjoying enjoying the moment. But uh, it was a bit of a shame that it wasn't the only focus. But, uh, yeah, a really, really good job by him. It will be the first of many. And I, and I think it's a sign that Mercedes will, will get a few more wins next season than, than just the one they have so far this year. It's mad when, you, when I was looking back this morning at the, just trying to find when, when Hamilton had last won. So the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix last year, the madness of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix last year, that was Hamilton's eighth win of the season, third in a row. Like, if he had said that that Mercedes wouldn't win again for 343 days, I mean, people would, to- would have told you you were mad. And and even the 2020 Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix, that was the last time, like, over two years before they, they'd have a 1-2 finish again. So, I mean, remarkable that it's taken Mercedes so long to get to the top of the pile here again. Yeah, I mean, there's another stat that really sums it up that I think is incredible is that Kevin Magnussen has more pole positions than Lewis Hamilton this year uh, because Magnussen qualified on pole uh, on Friday because it was a sprint weekend. Pole was decided uh, in qualifying on Friday in Interlagos and it was sort of damp conditions and Haas did a brilliant job uh, and Magnussen put it on pole. So even though Russell then won that race and started first in the Grand Prix, technically the, the stats say that Magnussen has a pole this year and, and Hamilton doesn't, uh, which is, yeah, just incredible. But it also shows how far back Mercedes had to come from through this year it's it's easy to look at them kind of making solid progress in recent weeks and months but uh, if we go back you mentioned Emilia Romana in 2020 but even this year that was a sprint race and they were nowhere neither driver made it into the top 10 in qualifying Russell had a great drive but in a bit of chaos to get into the top four but Hamilton really struggled um, to even get through the field and, and the car just wasn't competitive uh, they were really a midfield team at that point. So uh, the strides have been massive and that's what's impressive. That's the kind of Mercedes we know. They can make that sort of progress and recover from this sort of issue. But they've needed to do it and they've kept developing this year because they've needed to find solutions to the problems they had earlier in the year. Red Bull and Ferrari have maybe focused a bit more on next year already. Uh, and it will mean that I wouldn't expect to see Mercedes winning first race of next year, but I think they'll be a lot closer starting next season and really in the mix with the top two um, to the, the extent that I think you know they'll be title contenders again so um, an impressive turnaround but yeah it's incredible that it, it took them so long with these new rules to get to that level It's funny that, that we're talking about you know Verstappen not letting Perez pass there was a similar uh, issue with, with Ferrari where you know Leclerc wanted uh, the Ferrari team to order kind of signs to let him pass but I guess it's totally different in that you know Sainz got his podium you know and, and he's not really going to give up a podium finish to help Leclerc finish second in the Drivers Championship is he? I don't think so, but to be honest, he wasn't even asked in the end. That's that's the yeah. kind of biggest difference was Red Bull, uh, sorry, Red Bull had told Verstappen um, that he needed to get out of the way for Perez and Verstappen declined. With Ferrari, they'd apparently discussed pre-race that they would swap their drivers if it helped Leclerc and they were running in order like that um, late in the race. But because uh, Leclerc asked the question, Ferrari looked at the race situation 
Uh, Fernando Alonso is very quick and was within a second or just over a second behind Leclerc. So once Sainz slowed down and let Leclerc through, he'd be very vulnerable and could lose another place. So they thought that it's not worth the risk. So they just replied to Leclerc and said, no, we're not going to do it. It's too risky, um, which Charles didn't quite appreciate or wasn't too happy with at the time. But he said, you know, I'll talk to the team and find out why they decided differently to what we said pre-race. Uh, but for Sainz, then he was asked... Uh, in the press conference afterwards when he finished third um, about that message. And he was like, it's the first, you know, I've just been told about it before coming in here. I wasn't uh, told anything by my engineer. They didn't ask me to do anything. So I can't really comment at the moment. Um, it wasn't that he was given them the order and, and said, no, I'm staying here for third. But it would have been an interesting response because you're right. He would be giving up a trophy and a podium, which is, you know, a lot more than just two points for sixth and seventh, which again brings me back to why I thought it was so unnecessary for Verstappen to make that point with those positions. But um, science I would have maybe thought would have been more justified if he'd said no. Uh, and at the end of the day, I think Ferrari maybe avoided too much stress because of what happened with Red Bull too. Neither team actually pulled off what they were uh, intending to or thinking about doing. So they kind of leveled each other out a little bit. It was funny, like a lot of people, I suppose, George Russell was the, was the driver of the day, but Fernando Alonso's performance, Chris, uh, at the weekend, I mean, he just keeps doing this. 18th on the grid, he starts, and he ends up finishing 5th, three places clear of, of Esteban Ocon, his Alpine teammate, of course, you mentioned. They had their their, their issues, um, the clashing in the sprint race. Um, he must infuriate the Alpine team, because on the one hand, he's... You know he's he's talking openly about how much he can't wait to get to Aston Martin for next season, but then also he's just racking up points for Alpine and keeps putting in these performances that just show us why he's a two-time world champion. Yeah, it's one of those things where we all spoke about it kind of uh, in the paddock on Sunday, and it's that could you even remember a time when Alonso left a Formula One team on good terms? <laughs> he tended to set it on fire before walking out the door, sort of thing. But he could he could do that because he's so good you know he he was always pushing hard it was very demanding and that worked to an extent but then when the relationship broke down it was quite volatile so then he'd move on and that's kind of happened with Alpine they've given him the chance to come back he was very positive about the team last year when he returned to F1 did a good job last year had some some real standout performances but this year I'd say has gone up a level again uh, and is very much as good as he's ever been but it, because he's making the move to Aston Martin, because he felt Alpine were never going to get to the level needed to fight for wins and that Aston Martin had the, the ability to do so, you could just see his mindset change and it, it didn't take much. You know, He got penalised for one of the incidents with Ocon on Saturday uh, where he hit the back of his teammate on the pit straight and the stewards deemed it was dangerous because of the speed they're doing. They couldn't really make an error like that. It was a misjudgment. It was a mistake rather than anything malicious, but um, at th those speeds, you can't really afford those mistakes. So he got a penalty and he wasn't happy about it. But because he'd been involved in contact with Ocon earlier that he felt was Ocon's fault, he was kind of lashing out. And, and yeah, he um, kind of did say that he was looking forward just to get into the final race and, and getting in the green car, as he put it. But then that was because Saturday had been so bad for the team. And, and I think there was a, an element of guilt there. So he's kind of deflecting at that stage. Come Sunday, brilliant performance, as you say, um, up to fifth, You know, nearly got to fourth. He, he had a good chance of getting at the Ferraris as well on fresh tyres at the end. Really, really impressive drive. Um, and then he comes out saying, well, it's the only time we've ever collided in two years. We've always been great. We've always kept it clean. People make a big deal out of nothing. Um, and suddenly the narrative changes from Alonso. He likes to kind of play in the media a little bit. So 
Um, yeah, he was much more positive. Didn't mention after Martin at all on Sunday night. Talked about how, what a great job for the team they'd done and how great this weekend should be because Alpine uh, should be able to wrap up fourth in the Constructors' Championship ahead of McLaren, which is their big goal. So, um, yeah, his his tone changed very quickly with that. But uh, it is, as you say, one of the infuriating things about him, but it's the sort of thing you put up with because his talent's so good. Absolutely. Uh, Chris, you've been great with your time. You must be absolutely wrecked. It strikes me that it's a long, long, long flight from Sao Paulo to Abu Dhabi and it's only Tuesday morning and the race was on Sunday. Yeah, my uh, we got to the hotel here in Abu Dhabi at about 3am local time yesterday and it's now midday. So in my head, it's about 5am still on Brazil time, but uh, nothing some coffees won't fix and uh, chatting to you guys really helps to get the morning started. So absolutely. not too bad. We'll get the afternoon nap in if you, if you can, Chris. Listen, <laughs> I might, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Great stuff as always, Chris. Thanks a million. Thank you very much. Cheers for having me. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode.